All right, good morning. Can we say hello to our online campus this morning? Let's welcome them. Good morning, those of you that are watching online. We are glad that you decided to join us. This is the final week for our Shape the Future series. We've been in this all the month of August. We've been talking about the five characteristics that we want to be a part of the culture of Life Church. And we're going to talk about the last two characteristics in just a moment. I can't believe it. My wife will kill me. So you have to swear that you're not going to tell her this when she gets back this afternoon. That last weekend, I failed to tell you that she was away. You know, 16th anniversary and all, and she doesn't show up for it. And I'm sure some of you are wondering, like, where is Crystal at? Well, she's been in Israel for the last week and a half because our daughter just graduated with her master's degree from Tel Aviv University in crisis and trauma counseling on Thursday. And so even as I'm talking now, uh, there are a couple of hours left in their plane ride, so they get in at 1.30, and then they're going to get off the plane, and they're going to go directly to the party on 20th, happening at the South Campus this afternoon, and she'll be there for that. But I just wanted to tell you where she was at, you know, sometimes I get forgetful, and so don't mention that I, because when I talked to her, she said, you told them where I was, right? I didn't tell them where it was going to be this week, okay, so... Just cover me, all right? Cover me. All right. Well, next week, before we jump into the world, I want you to know I'm going to start a brand new series. This series is called, get this, God Behaving Badly. So that should pique your interest, right? And you're thinking right now, when has God ever behaved badly? Well, in our society, we have a lot of people that are asking a lot of questions about God that they don't understand, and they think that God behaves badly all the time. For example, why is God so violent? Why did he kill all of those people in the Old Testament? I couldn't serve a God that was that violent, right? Have you ever had to answer that question from people? They, they just don't get it, right? Or how can I serve a God that's supposed to be loving and kind and gracious, and yet there are all these atrocities happening in our world, and there's all of this suffering? Where is God in all that? And so for the entire month of September, I'm going to be dealing with some of the biggest questions that people have about God that they do not understand. So two things, it's gonna be a great series for you because you're gonna get those answers to those questions so that you're able to share them with people that ask you. But I also wanna challenge you to do something else. Invite someone to this series that doesn't know Jesus because we're gonna be answering all those questions and we're just gonna trust that God is gonna move on their hearts and just reveal his grace to them, amen? All right, so her name was Barb. You need to know this about Barb. Barb's life is a mess. Her drinking problem is absolutely out of control. Everyone around her knows it. Everyone around her sees it. But when they're with Barb, they pretend like everything's okay. Every Sunday, Barb and her family dress in their Sunday best. They get in the car and they come to church. And when they walk in the church, everyone looks at them as the model family because they look so perfect, and their clothes are so nice, and they have these beautiful smiles that adorn their face. Sitting in a row behind Barb every Sunday is a guy named Joe. Everyone likes Joe, especially the guys, because Joe is a man's man. Joe played football at a Pac-10 college, and he tells the best stories ever about the gridiron. Guys love Joe. But when Joe's all alone, what the other guys don't know is that his heart 
is filled with emptiness and pain because of his inability to sustain long-term relationships. See, Joe's marriage only lasted for six months. And every relationship that he's ever had in his life, he's driven those people away and he's destroyed those relationships because Joe has a violent temper, but nobody knows that. Because on Sunday, when Joe's friends see him walk into church and they ask him, Joe, how things going? Joe, with a great big smile, says, great, never been better. That's because both Joe and Barb have learned that the church is a place for perfect people. So Barb has turned into Barbie, complete with her husband Ken and her perfect plastic children. And Joe has become G.I. Joe, that plastic action hero that everybody admires but nobody really knows. Every weekend, Barb and Joe are in church. But what people don't know is that they're dying a slow, painful death inside. Do you realize that churches today are filled with Barbies and Joes? People who have embraced the idea that image is everything. That what really counts is how you look on the outside in the impression that you make on people. So like many Christians, Joe and Barbie have perfected the art of faking it. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, author Philip Yancey talks about meeting a prostitute one day and sharing the gospel with her. And as he was doing that, he suggested that she go to a local church there in town. And immediately she looked at him and she said these words. She said, why would I want to do that? She said, I already feel awful enough about my life. You see, in her mind, walking into a room, walking into a church full of perfect Barbie dolls and G.I. Joe action figures would only accentuate the feelings that she had about her own failures and her own inadequacies. Life Church, if we want to shape the future, if we really want to impact people's lives, then one of the things that's going to need to happen is we are going to need to be authentic. Because the unchurched can sniff out a fake a mile away. Remember I told you last week that one of the reasons that unchurched people aren't interested in going to church is because when they go there, they feel like Christians wear masks. They believe that Christians are fake, that they aren't being real both with themselves or other people. They feel like Christians often act like they're better than other people. They're always pointing a judgmental finger. When the truth is, Christians have just as many problems in their marriages and in their families and in their lives as the people outside the church. It's just that they hide it. I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about the kind of people that you love to hang out with, right? What kind of people? What are their qualities like? I can tell you the kind of people that I like to hang out with. They're people that are honest, sincere, down-to-earth, real, and authentic. Real people. Our world is filled with people that are trying to be something that they're not. Why? Because our society puts so much pressure on us to project an image to the world that no matter what's going on internally, that we've got our act together. 
I want to let you in on a little secret this morning. No one has it all together. There is no one in this room. There is no one watching online this morning. And I do not have it all together. You see, we may have many of our areas together in life, but all of us are working on some area of struggle. Am I right? Nobody has it all together. So here's what happens. When we as a church, when we as believers project an image of perfection to each other and to the outside world, we actually drive people away from the church and away from Christ because people outside know that they aren't perfect. They know that they can't measure up to that false standard of perfection that we're setting. There is a reason that one of the most beloved characters in all of the scripture is King David. And it's not for the reason you think. Yes, David was a great warrior. David defeated Goliath. David defeated numerous armies during his lifetime. Yes, it's true that David was a great king of Israel. He was a great leader. But the reality is there have been throughout history a lot of great leaders and a lot of great warriors. Why is it that people are drawn to David? I believe it's because he lived authentically. I believe it was because David was real. I believe it was because David was raw. Yes, David was a great warrior. He's a great leader. But David, get this, was also a world-class sinner. He was a world-class mess up. He disobeyed God at times. God told him, don't take a census. He takes a census. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. He murders her husband. By the way, you all know that David wasn't the model father either. One of his sons rapes his daughter, Tamar. Some of his other sons, namely Absalom, are rebellious, and they try to steal the kingdom away from their own father. That's messed up. And yet, here's what I want you to see today. In the midst of it all, in the midst of all of David's junk, there's something I want you to see. Turn to your Bible this morning to Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Acts 13, 22. I want you to hear God's thoughts about David. What does God say about David? Acts chapter 13, verse 22 says this. And so God removed Saul and replaced him with David. A man about God, whom God said this, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And then I love this. He says, he will do everything I want him to do. God knew all about David. God knew all about David's mess-ups. And God says about this man, he is a man after my own heart because he will do whatever I tell him to do. Oh, I pray that's what God is saying about me. That can, man, you know, he may be a royal mess up, but he's a man after my own heart and he'll do whatever I tell him to do. That's all I long to hear from my father. In the Psalms, we see David's raw emotions. I mean, they're out there, displayed for everybody to see. David deals with anger, he deals with doubt, he deals with uncertainty, 
He deals with disappointment. He deals with grief. But we also see David's passionate worship in the Psalms. And we see his unwavering faith in God in the midst of terrible circumstances in his life. And I believe the reason that people love David because David was the real deal. He was authentic. And because of that, people can identify with David. Because how many of you have messed up as badly as David? Anybody killed anybody in here? Oh, maybe I shouldn't have asked that question. I don't think I want to know. So if David could be a man after God's own heart, then you know what? There's hope for us, isn't there? But the reason David was a man after God's own heart was because David was willing to be real. He was willing to be authentic. So using David as our example this morning, I want to examine, I want to talk about what it really means to live authentically. Why would I have to do that in a church? You would think that church people would get this. Because I meet pastors all the time. I meet ministry people all the time. I meet church people all the time that says, oh, yes, I'm real, I'm authentic. But they wouldn't know real or authentic if they came up and bit them in the rear end. What they are is religious. They're not real. They're not authentic. And so it's important, if we want to make an impact in people's lives, we want to see people's lives transformed, we must have authenticity in God's house. And so the title of the message this morning is The Real Deal. The Real Deal. So what does it mean to live authentically? Four things. Here's number one. Living authentically means just being you. Just being you. In a world that is constantly pressuring us to become something that we're not, God wants you to know this. He wants you to be you. And what that means is he wants you to be you the way he created you. Living authentically means I am comfortable in my own skin. That seems so simple. But the reality is most of us aren't comfortable in our own skin. We're constantly desiring to be someone else right? We're constantly wanting the gifts that other people have or the personality that other people have. When God wants us to be comfortable with the way he created us, the way he wired us, the personality that he gave us. And I realize that's difficult in our world today because our world and all of the media and all the advertising is constantly telling you how you need to look, how you need to talk, how you need to behave so that you measure up and can be accepted. There are two incidents in King David's life where he was being pressured to be something that he was not. The first one is found in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verses 38 and 39. The setting is David is getting ready to go out and face Goliath on the battlefield. And it says there that Saul took his armor and he put it on David. Now David was a runt and Saul was a big guy. Can you imagine what David must have looked like when Saul put his armor on David? And so David replies to Saul after he stands there and looks at himself, I can't do this. This is not me. And he takes the armor off. He reaches down. He grabs five smooth stones. He takes a slingshot. And then he goes out to the battlefield to meet Goliath. Why did David do that? Because David knew 
that he couldn't be Saul. I want to tell you this morning, stop envying someone else's anointing. God has an anointing for you. God has an anointing for you. Stop trying to be someone else. Be you. Their anointing will not fit you. It's, trying to, it's like trying to walk in somebody else's shoes that are not your size. It's painful. It doesn't work. It creates blisters. Some of you are trying to do the work of God. You're trying to live a Christian life like somebody else is doing it in their anointing. And it's become painful and hard. God doesn't want it to be hard and painful. Walk in your own anointing. The second time it happens where David is being pressured is 2 Samuel 6.20. And so the story is that David and the army of Israel are returning from a conquest. And in this conquest, they have recovered the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God's presence dwells. And so they're bringing it back to Jerusalem. And as they do, King David is leading the processional. And he is out in front of the Ark as they come into Jerusalem to the palace. And David has taken off all of his kingly robes, and he is dancing wildly before the Ark of the Covenant in celebration. He's so excited that God's presence has come home. And so he does this, and then he goes into the palace. And you remember what his wife Michael said to them? First words out of her mouth, not, honey, I'm glad you're home. Not, honey, I'm glad you're safe. Not, honey, I missed you. It was this, you're an embarrassment in all of Israel. You have embarrassed yourself and you've embarrassed me. How undignified. You need to stop what you're doing. You need to never do that again. She was trying to get him to conform. And you know what David said to Michael? He said, <laughs> he said I can be even more undignified than that. He said, you haven't seen nothing yet. I love what Psalm 139 verse 14 says. It says this. It says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And then it goes on to say this. Lord, your works are wonderful. How many of you here today believe that the works of the Lord are wonderful? Let me see your hand. Yeah, we all believe that, right? The works of the Lord are wonderful. Well, guess what? You are his work. That means you are wonderful. Just the way you are, the way you were created to be, the way you look, who you are. Because you were created and designed with a purpose. Your design was not random. It was done with great thought and great love by your heavenly Father. And yet it's so easy, if you're anything like me, for me to look at myself and look at all the things that I don't like about myself and want to be somebody else. Oh, I wish I wasn't Ken. I wish I was so-and-so. Right? We've all done that. It reminds me of a story that I heard a number of years ago about a teenager, it's a true story, who grew up hating the way that she looked because she was born into a family of blonde people. Everyone in her family had beautiful blonde hair. She had straight coal black hair. And everybody in her family was blue-eyed and she had dark eyes. And everyone in her family was nice and tall and she didn't even reach five foot. So she was constantly feeling like an outsider in her own family. Never felt like she fit in. Hated the way she looked. 
She graduated high school. She went on to college. She became an English major. And in her senior year of college, God called her to the mission field. A year later, she raised support and she went to Shanghai, China, where she was going to teach ESL classes and share the gospel with the Chinese people. As she stepped off the boat in the port of Shanghai, she was struck by the fact that everyone looked like her. Straight, coal black hair, dark eyes, short. And immediately in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, I don't make mistakes. I created you for this. And she would spend the rest of her life ministering in China. The world, this community, needs you to be you. Why? Because there are people in this community that only you can reach. There are things that only you can do. I can't do those things because of the way God made you, wired you. You are unique. You are one of a reason for a kind. A kind uh, one of a kind for a reason. Stop trying to be a copy. Stop trying to be something you're not or someone that you're not. There are people that need you to connect with them because they need your personality, your temperament, your passions, your interests. I love the line from the old gospel singer, Ethel Waters. She once said this. In fact, she wrote a book by this title. God don't make no junk. Because she grew up as a kid being told that she was junk. You see, if we don't believe that phrase, God don't make no junk, we'll never live our lives as our authentic selves. And we'll miss out on what God wants to do through us to change the lives of other people. Haddon Robinson said this, in any situation, what you are determines what you see, and what you see determines what you do. In other words, what we do in our life is connected to who we are. So the question is, do you know who you are today? And are you comfortable with who you are? Because to live authentically, you need to be. Why? So you can see what Jesus wants you to see and you can do what Jesus wants you to do. Number two, living authentically means this, being real on the inside. And that refers to having an authentic emotional life. Many Christians don't know what to do with their emotions. What do I do when I feel emotions like sadness, grief, depression, discouragement, anger, fear, doubt? disappointment. Unfortunately, in Christianity, many well-meaning believers have taught that if we acknowledge those feelings, it demonstrates a lack of faith in some way. Can I tell you that's not true? That's not true at all. And unfortunately, because of stuff like that, many believers are running around and they won't acknowledge their feelings. What they're doing is they suppress those feelings and they slap on these goofy plastic smiles and they say things like, praise God anyway, when they're dying inside. If we choose to stuff our emotions, one of two bad things happens. First of all, suppressing your emotions will cause tremendous emotional damage in your life. Because God never intended you to suppress your emotions. That's why he gave us the book of Psalms. Right? The book of Psalms 
is meant to show us that it's okay for us to take our deepest emotions and pour them out on God because he's not surprised by them. He already knows what you're feeling. So why, why are we trying to hide it from him? Right? David, throughout the Psalms, pours his emotions out on God. And let me tell you, David, many times, I mean, he does it in a powerful way. I mean, many of the Psalms, if you read them, David is shaking his fist literally at God, saying, God, how could you do this? How could the wicked prosper and the righteous not? God, this is unfair. God, I don't understand. God, I have doubts. God, I have grief. God, I'm mad. Am I telling you the truth or am I lying to you today? Isn't that, isn't that what David says in the Psalms? And the beautiful thing is, God doesn't get upset at David. I remember growing up as a kid and my grandparents went to a small church and I, I remember the pastor saying, you should, you should never tell God what you're feeling. You should never be angry at God. You should never be disappointed. You should never be discouraged. Was, That's bad theology, gang right? I love the fact that God doesn't forsake David. David lets, God lets David vomit all of this stuff out. And then when he's done, God ministers to David. And those Psalms always end in praise and worship. Because God reveals himself to David. It's okay. Suppressing our emotions will lead us to pain and confusion. And when the pain gets great enough in our life, what we'll do is we'll shut off our emotions and we'll become numb. Beloved, if you become numb in your emotions, if you can't feel anymore, you can't help other people. Because if you're not in touch with your own pain, you can't be in touch with the pain of other people to help them. We have a lot of numb Christians. God wants you to deal with them. Bring them to him. Don't suppress them. Second thing that it does is it turns off the unchurched. Because when we as believers paste these plastic smiles on our face when we're going through terrible circumstances, okay, and we show no emotion at all, it confuses the unchurched. They look at us and they say, that's weird, that's not real, and that looks like denial to me, Right? So contrast that with the reactions of Jesus in the Gospels, because Jesus is our role model, right? So when the temple is being desecrated by the money changers, in John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, and Jesus was happy, right? Isn't that what it says? No, it says Jesus was mad. He was angry. He starts flipping over tables. He grabs a bullwhip and starts chasing people out of the temple. You can see the headlines in the Jerusalem Post. Madman in the temple. Right? Wow, we didn't expect that from Jesus. Didn't see that coming. Or how about in John eleven thirty-five 35 and 36, when his best friend Lazarus dies, and it says Jesus wept uncontrollably. What am I trying to show you? Jesus showed emotions. Now, I can't get into all this this morning. I know what you're saying, but, 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 there is inappropriate emotion. I know that. I understand there is an appropriate and an inappropriate time to show emotions, and there are appropriate and inappropriate emotions and all of that stuff. That's not my point today, so I'm not talking about it. I'm just talking about showing appropriate emotions. 
Because what do people need to see from us? They need to see us talking about our struggles, wrestling with our emotions in a real way like David did. They need to see how our faith, how our relationship with Jesus is making a difference in helping us to process the emotions that all human beings have, amen? So we've got to be willing to address our emotions in an open, healthy, authentic manner. Which means this. The church then has to be a safe place that allows people to work through their struggles and emotions so they don't have to wear a mask. The problem is, most churches aren't safe places. So what do we do? We fake it. Third, living authentically means confessing our failures. Anyone here messed up lately? Raise your hand. Oh, a lot of perfect people in here. I'd like to meet you afterwards. Find out how you do it. No, the reason we don't immediately raise our hand is because we're afraid to admit we've messed up because the church hasn't created a safe place for people to share their struggles and say, I messed up. We don't want people to know we messed up. Pastors don't want people to know they're messed up. So we hide our failures, we hide our struggles because we can't be honest. But here's what happens. When we hide those things, our sins, our failures, our problems, they actually end up enslaving us and we lose the freedom that Jesus gave us. Now we're not free anymore. That's not what God wants. I'm so thankful for 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he, our heavenly father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, I need that. Or how about James 5, 16? It says, confess your sins to one another and you will be what? Healed. You will be healed. When was the last time you confessed something, some area of your life where you messed up to another brother or sister? Because as long as we hide it, we're not healed. Authentic confession is powerful. It's transforming. And the unchurched know. They know you're not perfect. And if we hide our failures and we wear the masks and we pretend they don't exist, we lose our credibility with people. They need to see this. It's okay for us to fail. Why? Because we serve a loving and forgiving Heavenly Father who can redeem and restore all of our mistakes, no matter how bad they are. Even David's adultery and murder. So in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David acknowledges his sin of adultery and murder. He, he says to Nathan the prophet, I have sinned against the Lord. And David is remorseful. And usually, that's where we stop reading. I have sinned. We don't read the rest of the verse. In the rest of the verse, here's what Nathan replies. Yes, David, you have sinned, but God has forgiven you. It's amazing. Why did people love David? Because David owned his sin. He took responsibility for it. And so God continued to use him. God isn't concerned that you mess up. He's concerned when you hide it when you fake it, because he's more than willing to forgive you and get you back on the right path and help you fulfill your purpose like he did David. If God continued to use David, he can still use me. He can still use you. So when people see us mess up, but we receive forgiveness from God, what does that do? That helps them to understand that they can receive forgiveness from God. But I understand that confessing our faults and failures stands in direct contrast to a culture 
that does everything it can to cover up and avoid taking responsibility and ownership for failures and mistakes and sins. Because that's what we see role modeled from our leaders all the time. Isn't it refreshing when a leader is willing to admit they've made mistakes, that they've failed, and they're willing to own it and make it right? We love those kinds of people. Why? Because they're genuine, they're humble, they're repentant. Can I tell you that the scariest moment of my life was after I'd been pastoring Living Water Community Church for 15 of the 25 years that I was there. And I had decided one weekend to go before our people and to confess a huge mistake that I'd made as pastor. It was a big mistake. In fact, it was big enough to cost me my job. But I felt that I had to be transparent, that I had to be authentic, that I had to be real, that I had to be honest, even though many people said, why are you doing this? You don't need to do this. No, I need to do this. And so as that weekend approached, I'll just be honest with you, I didn't sleep that week. I was in the fetal position half the time. I was sick to my stomach. I was nauseous. Because in my head, even though I knew that I needed to do this, I figured that it would be my last Sunday, that they would kick me to the curb. As I began to share what I had done, shared my mistake, I was totally unprepared for the response of the people. In every one of our weekend services, when I finished, people rose to their feet and they gave me a standing ovation. I couldn't figure out why. And, and I mean, not just for 10 or 20 seconds. I mean, it went on for like seven or eight minutes. And, and, it, and it blew my mind. I, I didn't have a box for it. And all of a sudden, I began to weep profusely and I understood something for the first time in my life. The love of God. I will tell you that I felt the love of God for the very first time in my life that day. You say, how could that be? Well, I mean, I felt the love of God, but I mean now I really felt it. Because here's the deal. My whole life was rooted in two things. Performance and perfection. Performance and perfection. That's a heavy load. And now I hadn't performed and I was no longer perfect. So in my mind, that meant kick me to the curb. I'm done. But instead, I received this outpouring of love and mercy and grace. And my credibility as a leader actually skyrocketed. It didn't go down, it went up. It was baffling. And in the following weeks and months, I kept getting all of these emails and I kept getting these letters from people that said, because of your courage... I confessed my mistakes, and I have found healing. It was amazing. Because living authentically means confessing our failures. Because God can still use you. And finally, number four is this. Living authentically means standing for what we believe. There is this myth in the church that says, if we really stand up for truth, if we really stand up in this world for what we believe, the world will be turned off. Can I tell you that's not true? Because the unchurched hate people that are spineless, that cave to societal pressure. They're looking for people, someone who is willing to die for what they believe in. 
Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to agree with us. They're not going to agree maybe with our theology or the principles or how we live their life, but they will respect us. So when David stands in front of Goliath, he didn't go out on that battlefield to play let's make a deal with Goliath. He was willing to die for what he believed in. And his unwavering stand inspired a whole nation. Authentic people stand up for what they believe in. They don't run away with their tail between their legs because the unchurched don't respect cowards. In this series, there were five characteristics that I wanted to talk to you about. We've now talked about four of them. Today, I hope to cover the last two, which was authenticity and being a people of presence. I'm not going to get to that last one because I really felt I was preparing that the Lord really wanted me to focus on authenticity. But here's what I want to say as we wrap up this morning. When we choose to live authentically, two things happen. First of all, we create a safe place for imperfect people in the community to find Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? We want people to come in here and feel at home. Doesn't matter what they're going through, what their struggles are. They're loved, they're accepted. Jesus can help them like he helped all of us, right? Secondly, when we are authentic, get this, we become people in whom God trusts his presence to dwell. We become a people of the presence. Isaiah 66, verses one and two, God says this, heaven is my home, earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for my presence? Where will my resting place be? And we sing that song and we go no further, but there's more to that verse. It goes on to say, God says this, in this one, in this person will I dwell. To him or to her who is humble and contrite in spirit. In other words, authentic who reveres my word and honors my commands. Gang, the Holy Spirit is looking for people who are real and authentic, that he can make his dwelling place. David was not graced with the presence of God because what we remember about David is his passionate worship and the fact that God's presence graced his life. It wasn't because David was perfect, far from it. It was because David was real and authentic in his pursuit of God. David fell. But he confessed his sin and he just kept chasing after God. That's what I want to do in my life. I mess up so many times, but I want to get up and I want to just keep chasing after God because I want God to say of me, Ken, he is a man after my own heart and he'll do whatever I tell him to do. And yeah, he messes up every once in a while. But man, I can trust him. I want my presence to dwell in him because he's real, he's authentic. And that's my prayer for you this morning. Throughout his life, David was true to himself. He didn't suppress his emotions. He confessed his failures, and he stood for what he believed in. That is what it means to live authentically. He was the real deal. The question is, are we? Are we? Lord Jesus, today, we come before you, and I ask that you would help Life Church to be the real deal. Today, as you're speaking to people, even as I've been speaking, Lord, you, I believe, have been speaking to people. You've been speaking to people's hearts. You've been encouraging them to be real and authentic. Lord, we don't want to wear masks at this church. God, we want to create a safe environment where people can encounter you 
where people can wrestle with doubts and weaknesses, where they can work through their struggles knowing that there are brothers and sisters that will not condemn them or judge them, but will hold up their arms and support them. We want that, Lord, to be the characteristic of this church. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you just a couple of questions. And I want to ask you to just respond where it's appropriate in your life. And as I'm asking these questions, right where you're sitting, just allow the Lord to do his work in your life. Allow him to speak to you and minister to you about these things. First of all, are you living authentically by being true to your design? Do you need to stop wishing you were like someone else? Do you just need to be comfortable in your own skin with who God made you to be? If that's you, talk to the Lord about it. Say, Lord, help me to be comfortable in my own skin. Second, have you been stuffing your emotions? Beloved, God can handle your questions, your anger, your disappointment, your doubts. Tell him about them. Don't stuff them. Third, have you been afraid to be honest with people about your struggles and failures? Honest with God, honest with a close brother or sister friend because you're afraid they'll reject you. Well, if they knew the real me, they might kick me out of the church. They might not want to be my friend anymore. Trust someone enough to share your deepest secrets. And then finally, are you willing to stand up for what you believe? Or have you been afraid because of what you think people might say about you? Lord, help us to be authentic and real. People after your own heart who will do anything you ask of us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close this morning, Pastor Ashton referred to it a few moments ago. For several weeks now, we've been publicizing that today we would take a special offering called our Kingdom Builders Offering. That's going to help us as we pursue the vision of reaching people in our community and transforming lives. Last week, I talked about excellence being a characteristic of this church, that we need to be excellent inside so that we can be excellent outside. If you haven't been here over the last few weeks, we're going to show you this video. Then after this video is over, Pastor Ashton's going to come, and he's going to receive our Kingdom Builders offering. So watch this. Hey, Life Church. I wanted to take a moment to update you on what's been happening this summer, and then I want to make a big ask of you. In the services on August 17th and 18th, we will celebrate the 16th anniversary of Life Church. Now, during that celebration, I'm going to be sharing our vision for the future of Life Church. In June, Crystal and I shared what we hope to accomplish in our first 90 days here at Life Church. We shared about the need to upgrade several areas on both our North and our South campuses in order to be true to one of our core values here at Life Church, which is excellence. Since then, we've been working hard to make those projects happen. So right now, I'm standing in the study center, which is being completely renovated. We have made some amazing changes that I think you're going to love. So we're gonna be having a grand reopening and ribbon cutting on Sunday, August 18th at 5 p.m. as a part of our family night picnic. 
I want to say thank you to all the volunteers who have helped us to get this project done. It's truly been a team effort. Here on our South Campus, there are a number of projects that we're going to be tackling over the next month. First, there are four classrooms in this hallway that I'm standing in that are used every single week, which desperately need to be carpeted, and so we want to do that. Secondly, we want to replace the damaged wrinkled carpet in our sanctuary here. Then, here in the lobby, we're going to be tearing out several of these walls in order to enlarge our lobby area so that people can actually move in here. It's a little tight. Later this fall, we hope to head downstairs here to refloor and repaint the Fellowship Hall, which is in desperate need of a makeover, as you can see. We also hope to finish the bathrooms that were started a number of years ago, but were never completed. Now, these bathrooms are going to be needed when we utilize this Fellowship Hall for feeding people as we begin our Dream Center right here at the South Campus. And finally, this fall, we will be upgrading our kids' life space right here in the Life Center. Now I want to ask you a question. Which space do you think is more inviting and appealing? This one or this one? You see, we have a phenomenal kids ministry. We have a great children's pastor in Heather Marble, and we have great volunteers. But every week, the hallway where we check in kids is jam-packed. There's no space. And as you can see, the worship space behind me is not very kid-friendly. In other words, our kids' area doesn't scream, wow, and it needs to, because families already have to walk across the parking lot just to get here. So we need to change that. So we want to create a new check-in area this fall. We want to paint this room in kid-friendly colors. And we also want to create several classrooms in this space. We believe that these changes will make our kids' ministry more functional and give us that wow appeal for kids and their families. In his book, Discovering the Future, Joel Barker said this, vision without action is just a dream, but vision with action will change the world. So on August 24th and 25th, I'm asking the Congregation of Life Church to act on the vision that I've just presented in a tangible way. On that weekend, we're gonna be taking what I'm calling a Kingdom Builders offering. I'm asking God to help us to raise $50,000 on that weekend to complete all of these projects that I've shared with you so that we can reach people and build the kingdom of God. Now, the total cost of all these projects completed will be $120,000. Our goal is to raise $50,000 of that amount in this Kingdom Builders offering. I know that's a big amount, but I believe we serve a big God and that with your help, we can move from vision to action. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, each one of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, not under compulsion or coercion. All I'm asking you to do is to pray and just give whatever is in your heart to give in this Kingdom Builders offering on August 24th and 25th. We want to do things with excellence here at Life Church so that when people come to our campuses, they have a great experience and they encounter Jesus. I want you to know that Chris and I are going to lead the way in this offering by giving the first $1,000. So thanks in advance, because your gift is going to help us to change lives and build the kingdom. In 2003, an American anthropologist visited an impoverished tribe in Africa. His goal as an anthropologist was to study the African people in that particular region and how things even in Western culture apply to that impoverished area. 
And so when the anthropologist arrived, he decided one of his first things to do would be to conduct a social experiment. So he took a bag of candy and then a little bucket like this out to the kids of that village. And he showed the candy to the kids of the village. And the kids in their own native language were pretty excited. They'd never seen this much candy before in their entire life. So from there, the anthropologist said, all right, we're going we're gonna to play a game. So he walked to the end of a long open field and he placed the, the bucket of candy there under a tree. And through a translator, he then said to the, to the kids, all right, we're, we're going to count down and at the end of the race, whoever makes it to the candy first, you get the whole bucket of candy. So the anthropologist goes back to where the kids are lined up and in, in, in his own attempting to say in their native language, counted down three, then two, then one. And the kids took off to run towards the tree for the candy. But as they neared the end, the anthropologist was very surprised by what he saw. See, as the kids began to get near the end to the candy, they linked arms in with each other and began to say, Ubuntu, Ubuntu, as they took steps towards the candy, Ubuntu, Ubuntu, till they made it to the candy together. The kids then began to sit around the candy, sharing pieces of candy with each other, saying, Ubuntu, Ubuntu. The anthropologist, of course, with his Western way of viewing things, was very shocked and quickly went down to, to see what was happening. And through his translator, was trying to ask what was going on. The kids reached up to him and they said, Ubuntu, Ubuntu. Finally, the anthropologist asked the translator, like, what are they saying? This translator tells him, Ubuntu is a term we have. It's actually a very common term in lots of portions of Africa. And it means this, I am who I am because of who we are together. I am who I am because of who we are together. And that's our story, Life Church. The story of Life Church is the story of all of us together. Each of us as individuals, we're developing, we're growing in God because of who we are together. See, the Kingdom Builders offering, it's not about carpet in a hallway or paint on a wall, but it is about nations and generations that will be reached. It is about kids that may not even be born yet that will walk through those hallways and find the love of Jesus and one day go impact a country that we may never physically step foot on ourselves. It's because it's our story together. So see, Life Church, here's what we get to do this morning through this Kingdom Builders offering. We get to lock arms together. Cheryl, will you come up real quick? See, it's saying no matter, no matter what age, no matter what demographic, no matter where we live, we're hopping in and we're locking arms together. This is the story of Life Church. Gilbert, will you come up here, man? It's about saying it doesn't matter what areas we serve in, what we're trying to make happen, we're locking arms together. Andy, will you come up? saying, you know what, no matter what age our kids are, if we have kids, maybe we raise kids. We could be any age. Nick Day, will you come up? It's us saying, you know what, we're locking arms together. That's what this Kingdom Builder offering is about this morning. Like I said, it's much bigger than an envelope you're going to put in a bucket in just a second. It's saying the story of Life Church is our story together. North Campus, South Campus, Kids Ministry, Youth ministry, women's ministry, 
men's ministry, whatever it looks like. It's our story together, Life Church. It's our story together. So here's what we're going to do in just a second. I'm about to take the most unconventional offering you've ever probably been a part of. I want you guys to stand up on your feet together. And before we take this offering, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, but everyone stand up together with me. And wherever you're at and whatever groups you're near, I want you to lock arms together as we pray for the offering today. I want you to lock arms together because just in sections, wherever you can do it, lock arms together. Because see, Life Church, this is our story together. This is what the Kingdom Builder offering is about. You may not even really know the person close to you, but that's okay. This is our story together. We get to do this thing together. So we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to expand this and take this. And see, here's the thing, 11 o'clock crowd. You're the last round on this thing today for the weekend. So we're going to pray real hard. And see, I don't believe that prayer is a spectator sport. So we're going to get involved together in this thing. We're going to let faith rise in our hearts. We're going to let faith rise in this congregation. And so in just a second, we start praying. You pray right along with me. And like I said, you're, you're the last round of the three. So I believe you got enough faith to even help multiply for the stuff that's already been happening. So we're going to believe God together that he take this, this kingdom builder's offering, that he built his kingdom, that his church would come, that his work would prevail in Rockford, in Roscoe, in Beloit, and around the nations. Come on, we're in it together. Let something stand up on the inside of you in your heart this morning that we get to be a part of the work of God. Come on, let's pray, Life Church. Jesus, we thank you for today, Father. God, we combined our faith together, Father, that you would come, that you would work, Jesus. God, that you would take this Kingdom Builders offering and you would use it to expand your purposes. We lock arms together because we are who we are because of who we are together. So, Jesus, we are believing for the supernatural to begin to move, God. We decree and we declare that the supernatural will move in our region, Father, right now. In the name of Jesus, that you would shift atmospheres, that you would shift situations, Father. And we pray for a release to come right now, O Lord. We pray for a release to come over both the north and the south campuses, God, of the work of God that you are have for it to make, God. And just like you spoke through Pastor Norman last week, that this was our season for us to come forth. And it is Life Church's Sweet 16 week join our hearts and our words and our faith with that prophetic word right now spoken over this house, God. So God, let anticipation rise right now that behold, you are doing a new thing. Can we not feel it spring forth that you will bring rivers into the desert and waters will come forth, God. So we decree and we declare right now, come on, let faith rise in your heart, Life Church. We decree and we declare that you will move and you have spoken thing and it shall come to pass. So we pray for supernatural provision right now, oh God, in this offering and over your people and over the ministries of Life Church as we come into this ministry year, God, that is more than we have ever seen before. We pray for supernatural expansion and it would multiply right now, God. Let faith rise in our hearts, God. Let faith rise in this congregation for what you're going to do, for what you're going to, we're going to experience, God. We are who we are because of who we are together, God. So we sow that we will reap a great harvest that will expand. It is multi-generational. It is multi-ethnic. It is multi, it is in more than one nation, the work that you are going to do, God. So we believe it and we we just declare for it right now. And here's what I want to do. I didn't do this in the other services, but biblical faith is that when we give praise and thanks of knowing that God's going to move in. So can you praise him right now, Life Church, for just a second or two before we take this thing? You praise him. Come on. Let it be. Let your praise rise. You praise him for what he's going to do. 
We come in faith. We come in expectation for what you're going to do, Father. Come on, just a few more seconds. We give you honor. We give you praise. We give you glory for what you're going to do, God. We know that you are working in our midst. Even we don't even see you working, God. You are working. You are transforming. Come on, you are shaping our community. You are changing the atmosphere. So we say that it will be done. Let your kingdom come in Rockford. Let your kingdom come in Roscoe, in McChesney Park, in Loves Park. Let your kingdom come, Father, a manifestation to be people of your presence. So release something special and release something supernatural over this house right now in the north and the south campus. And we give you praise and we give you honor. We give you glory, Jesus, for what you're going to do. And we ask this in your name, Father, amen and amen and amen. All right, ushers, come forward. I think we're ready to take up an offering this morning now. You guys could be seated for just a second this morning, if you can. I don't know if you can even sit down with that. But we're going to take up this offering this morning if the ushers can come forward. And as soon as you guys just get into your places, you can start passing. I have someone slide up here real quick for me real quick. I want to, maybe that's all right. We're, all right, cool. I'll get it in there. But we just want you to know the leadership we're all my lovely wife right there. She's so helpful. But we want you to know that the leadership, all of us together, we are sowing in this thing. We're making it happen. We're leading the charge. We're going we're gonna to move into all that God has for us this year. And so just a few things we want you to just be aware of while we're collecting this offering real quick. Two big things. You saw a video last week about Operation Christmas Child. Uh, we get to be the regional drop-off center this year for it. It's so super, super cool for that. So we would love for you to get to be a part of that, man. Getting to give, like what, like I said earlier, this is a kingdom thing, so it's not even what's happening right here. These gifts are going to get to go to kids all around the world and reach them with the love of Jesus in a tangible way. Aren't we grateful that God gave us the greatest gift ever of his son so we can get to give in generosity to help these children see that they know someone loves and someone cares. Here's the other thing. It's going to be going on pretty quick, so you may want to swing through the drive through and grab something to make your way down there if you want to be a part of it. But party on 20th, it's happening down at the South Campus. Yes, and we are excited for that. And let me tell you, if you do not know, the South Campus, they know how to throw a party. Just go throw it out there. South Campus knows how to throw a party, so we want you down there. Hey, if you want to be a part of volunteering, so, so good. Uh, be there at 2 p.m. if you're one of those people helping volunteer. I mean, they got all kinds of stuff. I mean, the list is up there. Look at that. I mean, they got food. They have inflatables. I mean, they got all kinds of stuff. And they get to reach that community, that area around them with, with the love of Jesus and just, in, once again, a tangible way. So we want you to be there if you're helping, too. Maybe you just want to swing by just to support and be a part of be a part of the fun. Super good. It's going on from 3 to 6 p.m. Then um, if you just want to come and be get to participate in a part of all that because it's going to be lots of fun. We would love to see you guys down there. Whole group from North Campus going down there because, you know, we are one church with two locations and we are excited about what God is doing here. And so those are just a few things going on this week. Thank you more than we could say for coming out and being a part of the new things that God is doing here at Life Church. Jesus, we honor you. Jesus, we thank you for who you are what you've done. Let's have a great week, and we ask this in your name. Amen and amen. Have an amazing week, Life Church. We love you.